Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, and welcome to tonight's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Eric Siegel, chair of the club's personal growth forum and your host for today. We also welcome our listening audience, and we invite everyone to visit us online at commonwealthclub.org. Our speaker for the day is Nina G., the stuttering stand-up comic and author of Stutterer Interrupted, the comedian who almost didn't happen, Bay Area Stand-Up Comedy, a humorous history, and Once Upon an Accommodation, a book about learning disabilities. She's been featured on NPR, the BBC, Psychology Today, and has presented to the Fortune 500 and many universities. She co-produces the Comedians with Disabilities Act, a national touring comedy show featuring comedians with disabilities, and she's performed with Will Durst and Mort Saul and others. Nina stutters and has learning disabilities. She also has a doctorate in psychology and is an advocate on disability, invisible or not. Through humor and comedy, she will show us what it means to laugh at disability from an insider perspective. We'll deepen our understanding of what disability means, how to be an ally, and how to self-advocate. And maybe we can get her to tell us some stories about stand-up history. She's been interviewed numerous times, and one of the quotations I like the best is when she said, quote, I get ideas from my material from life in general. As a person with a disability, there are absurd things that people say to me all the time. Before I started doing comedy, I would get really mad at these things. But now I see them as a gift. It's like they're giving you a joke to tell everybody. And although I often tell a joke at this point in my introduction, I'm not going to try one here. So I defer to our comedian and our coach for the evening, Nina G. You have no idea how long it's taken for me to be up here. <laughs> you have no idea. This has all been in the works since 2019. So this is a very long path. So I really appreciate you, Eric. So... I am the Bay Area's only female stuttering stand-up comic. Yes. And I'm part of a comedy troupe called the Comedians with Disabilities Act. So it's me, a guy who uses a wheelchair, another guy who's blind, and another guy who's a little person and people come up to me all the time and they say you know stuttering and dyslexia because i also have that those aren't real disabilities you shouldn't be in that comedy troupe and i tell them if you look at the definition of what a disability is it's a physical or mental impairment that substantially results in having a deal with jerks so i'm pretty sure it qualifies I usually use another word, but I was told I couldn't. So <laughs> insert whatever word you feel is appropriate there. So there you go. Now, I do a lot of shows everywhere um, and different kinds of settings. Some are in colleges. Some are in d dive bars. Um, but what I've noticed is that there are some crowds that are so politically correct that they're afraid to laugh at the disabled person, even when they're telling jokes. 
Okay, this is what that's like. Um, so I will um, be in these audiences and sometimes, hi, I know her. I love her. Anyway, um, I, I will be in these audiences of very politically correct uh, audiences, people. Um, and sometimes what they do to me when I'm telling my, you know, I'm telling my jokes, uh, it should be ha 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 ha. No, instead, what they do is sometimes they make eye contact because they really want to show that they're allies. They really want to show that they're empathetic to the disabled experience. So what they do is they look at each other and they do this. Oh, 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 oh. They pity moan me. They pity moan me. Because that's empowering. Um, no. And the thing is, I love sympathy just like each and every one of you. I just don't know why that sympathy has to come in the middle of my act. Like, why is that the time I get it, right? Like, the only time, because it's not like when I go to to Starbucks and I place my order and I say my name and the barista asks, is that Nina with five N's? Where's my pity moan then? No, only now. Only now do I get it. Only now. So... The other thing I oftentimes get is, um, yeah, well, and I'm sure a lot of you who have some kind of de- 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 disability also get this. As soon as someone me- meets you, they suddenly have a PhD in the thing you have. The advice, oh my God, the advice all the time. And in the Bay Area, it's oftentimes involves gl- gluten intolerance um <laughs> oh, oh, that, oh yeah that's a clue no no um no but for me it's stuff like the advice comes in forms like just slow down and breathe are you breathing breathe yeah i've been stuttering since i was eight i've never thought of that and i guess i've been breathing this entire time so <laughs> yes so and um the advice comes in multiple forms. Oftentimes it comes with a preface of, I was watching Dr. Oz. Like, that's... Uh, it's not gonna go well. And sometimes, sometimes it was, and it's also like in the Bay Area, it's, I was li- 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 listening to NPR. <laughs> and as soon as you hear that, someone thinks they have a master's in whatever thing you have. So just a couple things to know about that. Now, let's see. Okay. Um, the us who stutter, we are only 1% of the population, 1%. Um, so a lot of times people haven't met us. Um, so I always like to educate audiences about what stuttering is, because a lot of times people think, think that it's nerves. A lot of times people think that it is low intelligence. It is none of that. It is simply a difference in our brain. Some people might say a brain abnormality, but as someone who has a brain abnormality, I like to say a difference. Like I think that is a better way of saying it. Um, And so the difference is here on the left side. Okay. That to be very simplistic about how the brain works, the left side is the language part 
of your brain. That is where you process what you hear and what you speak and other aspects of language. For people who stutter, there is a part there that is the motor part for language. It is a part that forms your words, that that moves your tongue, that connects those things to language. And for those of us who stutter, that is where the difference is. That's why it, that's why it impacts us when we talk, but it doesn't impact us when we sing or when we use a voice. And you had singers like Mel Tillis or, or, or it was Mel Tillis or Bill Withers were the big ones. Um, but in recent years, you'll also see any random person on uh, America's Got Talent and the judges, they are so like the person has a difficult time talking, but then they sing and Mariah Carey's like, why don't you sing all the time? And I mean, no, this is not what we should be doing. Um, and so um, the it's my f- favorite example of someone who stutters, who was an actress, was M- 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 Marilyn M- 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 Monroe, who I don't know why she would give herself a double M name. Like that was, I don't know if you could tell that it was really hard to say. I'm guessing she stuttered on C's and K's. Um, so, yes. Um, and so she talked the way she talked. So that she could talk around her stuttering. So that's why she talked like this. Because if you talk like this, you can trick your brain into not stuttering as much. And then you're just more fluent like that. And that's what she did. Now, once I was talking to a guy and I was explaining to him what stuttering was and about all those things uh, about the brain. And I did the Marilyn voice. And that's when he said, that's very sexy. Maybe you should talk that way all the time. (laughs) And I was like, no, that's cool. I think that I'd rather stutter. So there you go. And that is one of the things is that people want to fix us. They want to fix us. And part of that is, is that maybe they're uh, uncomfortable. So they want us to adapt when in reality, it should be the environment that adapts to us. And hopefully that is something that my comedy troupe, the Comedians with Disabilities Act helps to show that. And hopefully you will get a little bit of that from my conversation here. Now, before I go on, I wanted to give you one jokey joke. Okay, so a jokey joke that you could tell very safe joke, very safe joke, you could get away with it at work, all that. I need your help on it. Okay, here we go. How many disabled people does it take to screw in a light bulb? Okay. (laughs) Good answer. But no one here understands comedy okay so so you all were supposed to say how many but still a good answer okay so we're gonna try it one more time we can see why i'm up here and you're there um okay so how many disabled people does it take to screw in a light bulb one to screw it in and five able-bodied people to say 
You are such an inspiration. <laughs> Thank you. Some of you, I feel you know that from the inside out a little too much, a little too much. Um, and that is a thing is oftentimes people will like once I did a talk at a library and, and it wasn't even for comedy. It wasn't even on stuttering. It was just about uh, adaptive t- technology. And, and a woman came came up to me afterwards and said, you are such an inspiration. If I talked like you, I wouldn't talk at all. <laughs> I was like, not really a compliment, not really a compliment. No, for real, she said that. She said that. And that is the thing is oftentimes we are called inspirations because people are like, oh, thank God I'm not you. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes we are inspirations when like someone will say, oh, it's such an inspiration that, that um, you do c- comedy. If you can do it, maybe I can too. And well, no, I'm funnier and smarter than you are. That's not necessarily the case. So. But what I do hope to inspire in others is that you hear about our experiences and it changes how you look at things and how you might advocate because we need allies and we need advocates out there and I feel each of us can have a little bit of that job so that when we see see a a barrier we can do something about it and that can be a a barrier in the street or it could be a a barrier at your job it could be a policy. It could be something that your city or your town does. There are lots of ways to advocate. And I hope that that is the thing that you are inspired to do. Now, I wanted to share a little bit about my own story. When um, it, when I was a kid growing up, I loved stand-up comedy. And I d- during the pandemic, I spent my time writing this book, bit. Bay Area stand-up comedy, a humorous history. And me and my friend wrote it pretty fast because it was a thing we'd been doing for years and years and years is taking in comedy, um, studying it. Um, and when I was a kid, when I was around 11 years old, I decided that I wanted to be a, a stand-up comic. Um, And I would write jokes and I would call up open mics as I moved into my teen years and I would take copious notes. And I, and I grew up, grew up in Alameda and in San Leandro. Um, So really the impact of Bay Area comedy was felt. And I always had dreams about going to the Holy City Zoo. It closed on my 20th birthday. So I never got there. I was really mad about that. Uh, And and still am. Um, But I would take notes about who allowed minors into open mics because that was my hope was that I would go to an open mic. Um, And there's this one night when I called up Dorsey's locker, which had a long running open mic that was hosted by the stand-up comic Linnell. And when I called up this particular night, the it's a bartender answered, and I asked him if they allowed minors um, uh, at the mic, to which he yelled out to the rest of the bar, wants to be Eddie Murphy. And I hung up scared because he knew my secret 
The bitch really did want to be Eddie Murphy. It was totally accurate, totally accurate. Now, I never got up on stage during that whole time and it wasn't because my jokes sucked and they really they were really bad and it wasn't because of the bartender it was because i'm a person who's stuttered and i didn't think someone like me could do stand up and this was in the late 80s so there wasn't the internet to show me the diversity of people who stuttered in their jobs like i didn't have that kind of thing in my life. So I never saw anybody like me do the thing that I wanted to do. Um, so that dream died uh, eventually. Okay. Then I picked it back up when I was in my th- 30s. Now, that way that that happened was that I attended a conference for p- p- people who stutter. And at that conference, I was around 500 people who talked like me, who ordered food like me, who thought about their speech in the s- s- same way. And when I was there, I realized how much I was holding myself back. I also discovered the iceberg. If I could have that up there, please. There is a theory by Joseph Sheehan that says that stuttering is like an iceberg. That, um, and, and I'm talking about the one on. I have dyslexia. I'm going to say the right side, right? It's the right side. Yes. Okay. Um. So the one on the right side is what. Joseph Sheehan said that people who stuttered had was that what most of you see is the stuttering. You, you see it and you hear it. You see the repetitions you, and you hear our blocks, but that's only part of it. The, the main part of the stuttering experience isn't that. Instead, it is what's going on inside. And it is, it is the feelings that are associated there. And Sheehan said that these were denial, shame, guilt, anxiety, fear, hopelessness, and isolation. And as a person who stutters, and even as a person who has dyslexia, I had experienced all of these as related to my d- 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 disabilities. There was shame about the way I talked. There was um, guilt about having someone sit through my stutter. There was fear. There was hopelessness. And most of all, the isolation piece. Because when you're part of 1% of a population, it's hard to find people who experience these same things. Also, of that 1%, if there's Four of us, three are going to be men, one's going to be a a woman. So the isolation gets even deeper. And at the conference, when I was around other women who stuttered, I realized how we are socialized, that women ourselves, all of us are taught to be small. And when you're a person who stutters, that's even more so because you don't want to put someone out like, and especially me having an Italian American background, like what I had to do was to make other people 
comfortable. And I felt that that it's it's that guilt of having them sit through my stutter. And that was a big piece. And I realized how much I kept myself small because of all of that. And there's this thing that happens when you stutter is that you're interrupted constantly, 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 constantly. And I have a joke I didn't do, but I'm going to insert it now. I think things are going well. Okay. Um, that I, I have a rule that I don't fake my stuttering and I don't fake my uh, 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 orgasms, no matter how long either one of those th- th- things take. <laughs> and they have a, a lot in common because if the other person would just shush, sh- shut up and stop interrupting me, I'd finish a lot faster. Okay, that's that's as far as I'm going to go. Don't worry, that's it. Not gonna, they, thank you. He wants more of that. Um, so <laughs> um, no, and so that that is the thing is that you're interrupted all the time. And what I found was that I was interrupting myself, and that interruption of myself was much more debilitating than any any of my stutters, any of my blocks, or even anything from from the environment, because it came from inside of me. Now, coming back from that conference after understanding these things about myself, um, as the plane landed, when I got home, I realized that these iceberg analogies are a lot like clouds in the sky, that your own iceberg um, can change how you look at it, that it's a lot like clouds in the sky, that as you look at a cloud and it goes by, it could look like a scary dragon, but as it goes and it passes, it could look like a cute bunny rabbit. The only thing that has changed is your perspective on it. And my perspective on my own iceberg changed. And where there was denial, there was acceptance, shame turned to pride, anxiety to kindness, guilt to comfort, and I would also say forgiveness, um, hopelessness into hope, fear into courage, and most of all, most importantly, isolation into community. It was that community of people who stuttered was the thing that helped me to understand my own experiences and also be a reflection of who I wanted to be. Okay. Um, so when I got home, I changed a lot of things in my life, including a relationship of t- 10 years that I got out of because I saw how much I had interrupted myself in that. Um, and then um, within six months after that, I started to do c- comedy. And that's been the uh, 13 years um, as of March. So yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so that is my s- s- story about how I've got gotten into stand-up, um, and we are going to open it now for Q&A, um, so go for it. And also, um, I have some friends in the audience. I just want to thank you guys for coming, um, and you may be called on. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I, ha- I have one question ahead of time, and we've got also questions will come in from the stream. But my first question is, you know, what inspired you to get involved in in disability advocacy? Why did you do that in addition to being a comic? Okay. I think as a disabled 
person, it's kind of hard not to get into it. Um, and this is a really long answer, which is why we conspired talk about conspiracy th- theories for your next thing. Yeah, we conspired to put this one first. Um, so I, um, I was identified as having dyslexia and s- central auditory processing issues in third grade. So that is, um, and it happened at the time when a lot of kids learn to read and then in third grade they have to read to learn. So that's when dyslexia oftentimes comes up. And what I always tell people is you should never pity me for having a, a, a disability, never. But you can pity me for going to Catholic school in the 1980s with those things. Because that sucked. That sucked. Um, because in the 1980s, they didn't have the advocacy. They didn't have the laws. The ADA passed in 1991. And back then, the Catholic schools didn't think they had to accommodate. And so for me, my parents had to fight every year for any kinds of accommodations that I would get. And oftentimes, I would get them the first week or month, and then they would wear off. So it was always hard because I knew I could do the work if I had enough time or if I had an accommodation. Um, eventually, I was not accepted into my Catholic high school, so I had to go to Alameda High. Um, and so it was pu- public school. And it was the first place where I felt that I had some kind of backup, some kind of an accommodation, because um, I had in. IEP, which is an individualized education plan. Um, I also had um, people there who supported me in a way that they saw the possibilities. And there was one IEP that I had. This was toward the end. Um, and at this IEP, it was a, in, a, in my senior year. And when I was a freshman, I started to work at my aunt's de- daycare. And that was the first time I was like, oh, I'm good at something. I'm good at something. I've never felt that I've been good at anything. Um, so it was a really important experience to to have. And that's why I think getting kids into the workplace early to have those experiences is so important. Um And my school in senior year, I took a class that was a child development class. And in that child development class, um, they did theory on two days and then practice on two other days. And my special ed teacher um, or my resource teacher, teacher came in and she observed me in that class for the IEP that I would eventually have. And so in the IEP, she said, when I observed you and you did circle time, I had like, like you were so good at that. You were so good at keeping these kids attention and telling them stories and singing these songs. Um, it was like watching Lily Tomlin up there. Now, my teacher did not know that I was harboring this wish to be a stand-up comic, nor did she know that I had a sock puppet that I had named Edith Than. 
after the Lily T- Tomlin c- character, but I did. Um, and so having her say, say that um, was so important to me because it was the most authentic kind of feedback that I had ever g- gotten. And she saw me both as a t- teacher, but then this other love that she didn't even know I had. Um, so for me, that was a really important piece. And I'm going to come back to all of that in a minute. Um, and to say that when I left high school, I understood what good, what a good disability experience was. Like I had the best when I was there. Then I went went on to community college and it was really good there too. And then I went on to UC Berkeley, which is where I did my undergrad. And that was pretty good too. It wasn't as good as community college, but it was still good. Then I went on to grad school. And in my first week at grad school, I had one of the teachers that I had to meet with to do my accommodations. And I showed them my paperwork and they saw my uh, IQ score and they saw my testing. And they told me, you don't belong here. You are probably going to fail in the next six months based on your scores. And so I suggest that you drop out um, and don't and and save a hundred grand. And I went home to my mom and I cried in the kitchen. But it was something that I had felt back in third grade. But in between that, I had these... uh, other experiences. I had. I, I knew that my parents advocated. I knew that I had t- teachers who, who, who had advocated. I knew that I had people um, who kind of lived I- I- inside of me. That I knew that this person's uh, opinion of me was not true, and that I could advocate and do. Uh, something else. And when I was at that meeting and when I had to really face that, that's when I was like, oh, things still suck. Like this advocacy thing, this disability access, it's still a necessary thing to advocate for. And so that was the day I was like, oh, oh, I thought after Catholic school, I was fine. It's not. (laughs) Still not as bad as Catholic school, but nonetheless, nonetheless. And so if we could show the next slide, not to embarrass you, but, or, oh, yeah, and then the slide after that. Um, the slide after that, this is my teacher who said that about me um, and um, about the pup, you know, about um, li- 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 Lily T- Tomlin, and she's right over there. That's her over there. So <laughs> that is Miss Bramlett, and she's wonderful and great. And you came from L.A., or were you in town? Or Yeah, she came from L.A., guys. You thought it was far away in Saratoga. You thought that was far. No, that's L.A. right there. Did you want to add anything or say anything? Nope. Okay. Every chance I get. Oh, that's she stalks me, everyone. 
<laughs> it sounds like a dangerous thing, but no, that's totally good. No, and 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 I love you, and I appreciate you, and um, and I'm so lucky to have had you because coming out of Catholic school, my self-esteem it was in the toilet. It was so bad, um, and it was people like you and you being like one of the big, uh, biggest ones, um. It really helped to shape me and shape my iceberg so that when I did have that opportunity to really be mindful about my iceberg, I was able to change that. So when you asked 10 minutes ago how I got into advocacy, it's all of that. And it's so hard to say this one thing. It's, um, it's, you know, like in the comedy world right now, a lot of the, San Francisco comics are really trying hard to be politically correct in a way that, um, um, you know, makes it a diverse and welcoming environment to everybody. They still say the word retard. And it's just like, what? What the hell? Um, and so that is also where that advocacy needs to be there. Also, um, there are so few ramps in the comedy world for stages that it's really like everyone always says, well, we have to stop giving all of these parts of disabled characters to able bodied actors. Well, we need our colleges to have ramped stages and we need our comedy clubs to, to have ramps because those are those places where people get that entry in. So that is another place that I hope to advocate and that I hope my troop can also show some representation there. And we have some shows in October that I have some flyers for at the end. Okay. What's the next question? Who here has some questions? Yeah, how does your humor around stuttering and dyslexia translate to other disabilities, um, diabetes, mental illness, um, amputations, etc.? So I would say um, it's not necessarily my humor, but I think that what helps a disabled comic do is to absorb their experience in a humorous way. And so we have a comic who's going to be on one of the Santa Rosa shows um, in October. He has an amputation. Um, And there is another comic in Sacramento who has multiple amputations due to him being a vet. Um, And so each of them like is able to talk about their experiences in a way that I think is authentic to them. And the thing about comedy that I really love that I think is different than any other art form is that it's direct to the audience. Like there's not a whole lot of interpretation. It's like, it's right there. And I think that's why we get so pissed off at comics now because um we can protest them which like i'm like well can we protest the politicians too because like i think like i i think people 
go, go after the comics because it's such a raw, it's such a raw form of art. Um, and people feel that they can talk back or slap back if you're Chris Rock or, you know, all that. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, and that's where the humor part helps to express the experience in a way that I think is digestible to, to the rest of the world. Um, I think sometimes when I tell these things, like if I t- told you outside, like, oh yeah, this guy told me that I should talk like Marilyn all the time. You'd say, oh my God, that's awful. Oh, that's so awful. But I'm able to talk about it and able to kind of take back some of that power and hopefully like remind, like I don't want to be pitied. And I think that is like the core thing in stand-up is you can't laugh at someone that that you pity, which is why I resent the hell out out of those audiences that do, uh, uh, uh. Which happens in Berkeley. That I don't want to say my house in Berkeley. Okay. I assume when you talked about community college that you went to Laney and it it was actually Chabot and Alameda. Okay. But that was a good guess. It was a really good guess. It's my mom was almost the queen of Le- 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 Laney. So, just the, by the way. The reason I'm asking is because I imagine, you know, Berkeley has a wonderful reputation for being very accommodating people with disabilities. And I'm wondering, like, once you go outside the Bay Area, whether you've noticed, like, a really big difference in how willing to accommodate people are. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and a lot of that, what I've seen is traveling with my friends because for me as someone with a semi-apparent disability it's a different kind of experience and like I have a friend Steve who we have a show in Hollister in next week next week um and he's just getting back into it he's a a little person and like going around and traveling uh, with him Oh, people stare at him constantly. Of course, he has a shirt that says, keep staring and I'll do a trick. So (laughs) there is that part. (laughs) But um, I mean, I think that we think the Bay Area is cool. Um, A lot of stages here still aren't ramped. Like, yeah, you could be... Um, understanding and all of that, but if you can't get a 400-pound chair on stage because it's an electric chair, um, I don't think you're that cool. Um, (laughs) And there are some areas that are not accessible, but the attitudes are, and it could go the other way too. So, And I wish I had a better answer, but yeah. Thank you. And... Um, hi. So question about when you write your material, do you ever cut out things or, you know, around the stutter, like timing and stuff like that? And do you, then do you get mad that you're doing that? Mm, And, you know, like, what are the thought processes there? Yeah. So, um, and that was one of your questions. 
Eric, is what is the process to do comedy? Um, and for me, I, f- I mean, I feel, and this is, you know, something having dyslexia that I've always had to do is I've always had to work three times as hard. So I already know that that's going to happen. Like, I already know that. And I think with comedy, I write a joke. I don't think about the stutter and then I go to an open mic I'm like oh of course I'm gonna stutter on this word that's always gonna happen um but then the placement of that will that screw up my punchline and a lot of people we who um stutter we stutter on our names and oftentimes we stutter on a punchline um and (laughs) so yeah so it could be kind of a challenge in comedy um, and, um, and so just kind of find, trying to find the rhythm of that, um, and doing it over and over and over again to see where that is. Um, and the more you do a joke over again, the, the less that you're going to stutter, which isn't my point, but I really want to get that joke down. Um, so there's that piece. Now I did do a show in Las Vegas, like the stuttering is so weird because I could be totally fluent tonight off stage, but just stutter more on stage. Two weeks ago, I was in Las Vegas stuttering a ton off stage, totally fluent on stage. My stuttering jokes did not go well because they didn't have any context. And the guy afterwards, like, oh, I wouldn't have even known if you didn't say. I was like, yeah, that's not the point. That's not what I'm trying to do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really weird process. And I think that's why someone who's been into it for, uh, 13 years isn't going to go to the open mics that I go to, which aren't, aren't like always great. Um, and, but I feel I have to in order to know the joke, not only for the stuttering, but also to go over it again and again and again to get f- fluidly the words down because of the dyslexia. Cause I don't remember stuff well when it's words. Um, so there's that too. And thank you for asking that. It's got another. No, but we want the people in YouTube land to know. Got it. Hello, YouTube land. Um, Who are your favorite comics? And like, who do you try to emulate with style if you do? Um, So, oh, and if you could go to the slide two before. Okay, so this is kind of like my comedy um, wall here. Um, these are a combination of friends and famous p- people I've met, um, especially Bay Area influence. Robin w- Williams is there in the mi- middle, um, and Mo- Mort Saul is there. Um, and Father Guido Sarducci is up there too. I'm, I'm glad the Italian knew that. Yes. Um, no, and Father Guido Sarducci was probably like one of the first comics that I knew about when I was a kid. Um, I remember being five years old and wanting to get wax p- paper to put on the t- TV so I could find the Pope in the p- pizza because um, that was his thing on on on, on Saturday Night Live. And actually, I'm going to be in a Lit Quake event that I think I'm going to be able to interview him on stage at the Throck. So please come out to that. Um, anyway, 
Um, the two guys down at the b- bottom, um, they are Paul M- Mooney and Dick Gre- Gre- Gregory. And for me, those two have been big influences on me. Um, Dick Gregory, because he really integrated advocacy into his life so much that comedy went in the backseat. Um, but um, for me, he's one, like I watched do- uh, documentaries on him. I'm like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. Um, Cause he just did a, a, an amazing job. And Paul M- M- Mooney was a writer for a writer for R- Richard Pryor um, and Richard Pryor, like my mom brought me to see Richard Pryor live at the Sunset Strip when I was nine, um, which was best drug education you could ever get. Um, It's the match. And and Paul Mooney wrote for him and, and, and Paul's stand up was just so great because he really um, put, a social justice message in the forefront. And when I started comedy, I was like, I want to be a white female disabled Paul Mooney far from it, totally far from it. But that is what I wanted to be. Um, And then also I don't have my emo Phillips picture on here does anybody know who emo is okay wow i'm so impressed yeah oh no you're italian okay okay yeah well yeah you're very smart then um (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and um he's also an influence and you could also see me and lily tomlin um on the far end with the puppet so because she got to meet her puppet person so yes um yeah so those are my influences so and of course, a bunch that I can't say anymore, like a bunch who have been canceled is like comics need to like act b- better anyway. Yes. Okay. I'm going to ask another question, which is, um, you know, should, should I acknowledge someone's disability or pretend that I'm not seeing it? Um, I think there, it, it totally depends on the s- s- situation. Um, and so I think sometimes, People try so hard to ignore it that it's so obvious that they're trying to ignore it. (laughs) So, okay, and I see lots of heads like, yeah, and if anybody would like to say anything, please, please do. Um, And I think there is a balance there where you don't like... You want to acknowledge, but you don't want to focus in on. And I think that is the difference is... um, like sometimes people say it's okay i'm here i'm listening you you just slow down it's like this is not helpful this is putting the pressure on even more but if someone just like uh, 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 okay yeah no and they just look the way they should look 
that is what we want, um, whether it is stuttering or, or, or anything else. But you know, if somebody uses a wheelchair and there's a sandwich board in the way, please move it, move it. Like <laughs> that's, and, and, and doing those things without saying, Oh, look at me. I'm moving it. Oh my God. Everyone look at me. I'm so, <laughs> such a good person. Look at me. Which happens. So yes. What do you wish speech pathologists knew? Oh, such a good question. Thank you for asking that. Um, I wished they focused less on fluency and more on expression. Um, Because fluency, when I was a kid, the way that you treated stuttering was you talked like this because I'm really fluent like this. Could you imagine doing this for an hour? No, but I'm fluent. And so, you know, there's that. Like, like I'm, I, I, I think they need to work on self-acceptance. On, it's, it, it's the iceberg stuff. And I, what I feel is that every person who stutters has their own iceberg that they have now and then one that they might want to try to achieve. And I think a speech therapist can help to identify that. Like, what do you want to do? Okay, let's try and figure out how you can do that. Um, and, um, and there's a lot of techniques now that are not the fluency ones. Instead, it's like going and ordering a coffee and telling someone in the forefront, you know, like, like, uh, upfront that, up front that 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 you stutter so that then the pressure's off then you can just stutter and you're educating people um because that is the thing about advocacy is that oftentimes we teach kids to advocate but we don't teach the environment how to receive that advocacy and that is something i hope can be changed and but i feel that that also Oh, this is the thing. Oh, this is what I want to say about this. Um, is whether you are a psychologist, whether you are a speech and language pathologist, whatever, if you're a teacher, your job just isn't with that individual, but your job is to advocate in the communities that you're in. It's t- to educate your um, school. Like if you are a professor, then you educate that school about disability issues. If you have any impact within the community to educate the police about if somebody stutters, it doesn't mean that it's that, that they are lying. And I have a friend or she's not a friend friend, but she's like a, a, a Facebook stuttering friend who was detained at the Georgia airport because she stuttered. She was coming through customs from another country and they detained her because they thought she was lying. And so how can we change those situations and to advocate in that way, because your job just isn't with the individual. It's to change how people receive that individual. I know that frequently when you've 
gotten stuck with the word. I have this temptation to kind of like jump in and guess what it's going to be. And fortunately, I've been able to restrain myself. But I suspect <laughs> when you do comedy that there are people who aren't able to. And I was wondering how you deal with that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I am Italian American and Italians tend to interrupt. Um, so, so there is that. And so, you know, there is that cultural part that some cultures just try to finish your sentences. And that is different than doing it because you think you're helping because you're not helping when you finish uh, a stutterer's words. Um, and sometimes I will s- s- spite s- stutter. So if someone says, says, says the word, then out of spite, I will, no, I'm going to stutter on this even more. Um, and I do it. That, that I so appreciate that laugh from you. Um, and so, um, and so there are different ways that that happens. Now, on when I'm on stage, people don't mess with me too much, <laughs> which is really fun. Um, when they do mess with me, they because I kind of feel that as a stand-up comic with a, a disability. Um, I've been teased since I was eight. Um, I've gotten stuff from everybody. I want to say the S word, but I can't. But I, I've gotten that from everybody. Um, so I feel like I am the guy who's walking down the street who has a black belt in Kung Fu. And he's just waiting for someone to pick a fight. Like, like when I'm on stage and there's a heckler, I'm all, Oh, I've been waiting since I was eight for this. You're now my Catholic school teacher and I'm going to lay into you. Um, so, um, on stage, please bring it on. Now, when I'm off stage, that's when it gets more weird and it gets more awkward. And I'm like, oh. and a lot of my friends were like, you need to be more like you are on stage when you're off stage. So there's that. Anything well, from those people? No, I don't have one. However, I do have another one okay. here about just generally resources for people who stutter. I mean, that would be one of mine. Yeah, Where no. So go? there's a lot of really great organizations. Um, for there is the then then then. National Stuttering Association, um, and they actually started in the Bay Area as the NSP, the Na- National Stuttering Project. Um, so they have their roots here, as many of the disability organizations do. Um, and then they've expanded. There's also the um, uh, ISA, which is the International Stuttering Association. Um, They are really great, and they have lots of activities online as well as international conferences. I was their keynote in uh, Iceland, and they had, like, the Iceland president there, like (laughs) – very weird when you go to Iceland, like, like the access to things is different. Um, and so, um, and so there's that. There's also the American Institute on Stuttering. And really, those are the speech and language professionals that I feel are doing some of the best work, because it is self acceptance, it is expression. Um, and Emily Blunt 
is on their board. So every time she puts out a film, she really tries to bring stuttering to the media. And I really appreciate that. I would like to hear her stutter more as a person who stutters, because that's, that is the thing is that the famous people who stutter don't stutter as much. And I'd like to hear that more. Yeah. I want to follow up with that a bit because we know the president Biden stutters. So, I don't usually notice anything. What do you as a stutterer notice that is like, oh, yeah, that's familiar? Oh, know, we I, always know. We uh, yeah. almost always know. Yes. Well, and he does some things like um, I think he stutters on O's because instead of saying uh, Obama, he says my president or like my um, boss. Oh. Um, <laughs> and so there's things like that. Um, and so. Um, when you don't have dyslexia and you stutter, you can come up with like 10 words for this one word. Um, and so it expands your vocabulary a lot. Me as a dyslexic, I come up with two words and you could see half of them I learned from Richard Pryor. So I can't say here. Um, so yeah, um, (laughs) <laughs> so um but yeah biden um it what um his story for a long time was that he overcame it then at the democratic convention he brought on a young man who stuttered and changed the whole narrative on it and i really appreciated that and that's why i said yes when um someone asked me to engage in the inauguration activity. So I got to be in the inauguration on the first night. There were five nights. The Lady Gaga night was not the one I was on. Okay. I was on the one that was pre-recorded and online. Um, So I was very happy to be part of that. Um, I've got, wrote some questions up ahead of time. If I, if I, um, Seems see somebody treat a person with a, with a disability with disrespect, what, what, you know, some visible or invisible d- disability. You know what do I do? I, I can go jump in there and make a big deal, and that may I worry that would make it worse. I mean, how do you advocate in such a situation? Yeah, and I really appreciate that question because when I was talking about my friend Steve and how people would just stare at oh. him. The way I treated that was I would stare at the person who stared at him and I'd make it really obvious. I was like, I'm staring at the person who is staring at you, Steve. You see that, Steve? I'm staring at that person. So I'd make them uncomfortable. And cycle then, of stairs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and then I was like, and then I was in the car. And I was like, Steve, do you want me to do any of that? And he's like, not really. <laughs> and I was like, I'm kind of making this about me, huh? So yeah, you are. Um, and so that is the thing: is why are you doing the advocacy? Is it for you or is it for them? And I think um, it's important to check ourselves as allies and this goes for race it goes for gender it goes for everything is it about us or is it about you really want to help in that situation um so i think that is the first thing and the second thing is like ask the person like would you like me to say anything (laughs) and if they do great if not that's okay too um 
And um, because sometimes you want a big d- deal and sometimes not. Um, there was a situation at my old work, and, and I talk about it in my book, where there is someone from... Um, this agency came in, it was an outside agency and we all had to go around and we all had to say our name and we all had to say what we did at the job. And I was like, Oh, I hate this because I can do this all day long, but you ask me to assist say my name and I break up in sweats, you know, like, like, cause it's a situation that I'm not in charge of. And so for this, knowing that I would stutter on my name because we all do, um, and possibly on my last name. Um, and then, um, and when I did, the woman got this look on her face. Cause when you stutter, there is the face of the other person. And sometimes it's like, Oh, what's going on? And hers was like, Oh, what's going on? And sometimes it's like, Oh, the poor thing. So there's lots of different faces. Um, sometimes it's like, Oh my God, they're having a stroke. So like I've seen them all. Um, and this person was like, uh, and afterwards I was talking to my boss and another friend at work. And we were talking about how the whole thing went. And I was like, well, I didn't like how she looked at me. And when people say that, oftentimes people are like, oh, you were just, it was all in your head. It wasn't that. Um, and my boss, instead of that, was like, yeah, I saw that. Do you want me to say, say anything? I was like, no, no, it's fine. But thank you. Like, that's the first time anybody had like said, would you want want me to? So he, the, 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 validated me and then asked if he could and actually in that situation it was just enough to be seen and the the other night a similar thing happened where um i was doing a show which we had very low attendance for um and we had to go bark meaning we had to try to get people in and so me and one of the women on the show um we were trying to get people to come in and talking to people outside. And that's when um, I was trying to get this one woman in. Um, and the woman said, oh, so what is your, what is the relationship between you two with women and um and and we were like oh we are comics and she was like oh i thought you were her support person (laughs) yeah like she was my service dog or something um yes no and that's exactly what my friend was like oh no i left my vest at at home and then i was like yeah she's working so please don't pet her um and and this was my friend candy who it's not like we're like close close friends but like she being a comic she was able to get in there and make fun and just do enough and it was just um it was really nice to have someone just kind of jump in and be on the same page what we're gonna have all right, our gratitude Thank to you. Nina G for being with us today. Thank you, everyone, so much, and coming from so far. <laughs> we are also grateful to our audience here, as well as to those listening to the recording. And now, this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California, commemorating our 119th year of enlightened discussion, is adjourned. 
You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org slash donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.